You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I am your host. And today I have with me a fellow physician, Cheryl Marks. Cheryl is a voracious, lifelong reader, a lover of food and dinner parties, an intermittently enthusiastic home chef with an inability to follow a recipe without tweaking, and a chronic reorganizer of her home furnishings. She loves bringing people together in small groups to gather, share stories, and witness laughter-induced rigors and tears. She is a mother of two sons and one daughter, a wife and partner of one great man, and a physician specializing in perioperative medicine and anesthesiology. Cheryl, thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have never heard the term perioperative medicine. Is That's really interesting. Tell me about that. I am an anesthesiologist. I trained at UCSF um, and I did med school at Columbia and took a job here in Seattle, Washington, where I still live with my family right out of residency. And primarily I work in the operating room as an anesthesiologist, but I also oversee our pre-op clinic, which we call a pre-admission clinic at Swedish Medical Center. And so we get patients optimized for surgery clinically and make sure that all the glitches are worked out so everybody shows up on time and try to improve efficiency in our system and and make patients happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love Swedish. I volunteered there when I was going to UW. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you do your med school at UW as well, undergrad or? Undergrad at UW, med school back at UNR in my hometown. I was accepted to two med schools, either one on the East Coast or the one in my hometown. And I decided I wanted to be near family in case I needed emotional support, which was a very good decision. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in California and my parents dropped me off at med school in New York. And that was sort of my city of origin. My parents are from New York and I was born in Brooklyn, but it was a big transition, you know, just to have them leave. And I was like back in the dorm rooms at Columbia in upper Manhattan, big time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I knew I needed to go away for college because I was kind of emotionally dependent on my parents in ways that I think were appropriate as a teenager, but not appropriate for a young adult. So it was really good for me to go away. But then I was like, yeah, I'm going, I'm ready to go home now. I'm going to go home for med school. And yeah, God, I did because that's where I met my husband. And- yeah, yeah, me too. I met my husband in med school also. <laughs> yeah. Is he a physician as well? He is. He actually works yeah. at Seattle uh, Children's Hospital and we ended up up here so he could do his fellowship. So he did peds at, at UCSF. We actually did a couples match from Columbia. Ooh, yeah, wow. we weren't engaged at the time. And through all my interviews, the interviewer would say, what's your husband do or what's your boyfriend doing? Because you you know, with the couples match, the matches have to sort of coincide. So you end up in the same city. And there is a lot of corrections that I had to make around the fact that he was neither my fiance nor my husband. And I thought, God, is this going to work against me? <laughs> They're going to think I have bad judgment, you know, to, to be committing my life not to somebody who hadn't proposed, but so be it. You're just a planner, man. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. When I started dating my husband, I met him in, at a med school Christmas party. He was working in a physiology lab. And as soon as we started dating, he went off to dental school in San Francisco and I was in Reno. Oh, okay. So I wrote a very confident letter to UCSF Medical School informing them of my plans to transfer. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) How'd that go for you? (laughs) Yeah, we don't accept transfer students. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, that's nice. (laughs) That's so funny. I saved all of my away rotations till the end. We got married in December and I only had three months left of my fourth year after that. And I was able to do all of those rotations in San Francisco. So that was actually really awesome. And they were really accommodating of me that way. So that was great. 
That's great. And then yeah. I, had a lot of, I did get some UCSF experience, which was fun. And I was able to kind of see where my education stacked up and felt really confident after that experience. So that was good. Yeah. It's funny when you're going through the process of applying to medical school, there's sort of these big names out there and there's allopathic medical school and osteopathic medical school and this and that. And then, you know, now I work with folks who went to med school all over the world, all over the country, allopathic medical school and osteopathic medical school. And in the end, it it doesn't matter. Being a good physician often means just being conscientious and dedicated to good patient care. The the training part of it is helpful, but certainly, you know, I, I think you get a little bit confused going through the process uh, about what's going to make a good doctor. And- oh my gosh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I totally agree with you. Your education is mostly what you put into it and being conscientious and making sure that you're doing your very best at all times. Yeah, that's so true. I will say those first few weeks at Columbia, I went to UCLA as an undergrad, which is a great school and definitely just like my happy place. But just sitting around in, in that big circle and going around and saying where you went to undergrad. And it was, you know, I think probably 60% of my class had gone to Harvard, Yale or Princeton. Oh, um, <laughs> you know, like, oh, oh, I'm not intimidated at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> you're all good though. I, I, it reminds me of my first, I guess it was my first few biochemistry classes. All the kids who had been scribes in the ER knew all the abbreviations. And I was like, yeah, I, know. I know nothing. No. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, that totally didn't matter. But they, they were definitely flexing with all of their knowledge that they had. It's a normal survival technique in, in med school where, you know, we're a competitive bunch and we use um, a lot of shame yeah. to keep everybody in line. So, you know, flexing works. Got to unlearn that for years, that uh, programming there. I definitely learned to be less bothered by other people's flexes. Yeah. I'm like, that's all right. We can be quietly successful. It's fine. That's right. <laughs> that's a that's a good life school. And it, it's definitely hard in the beginning during training, but it's, it, it, it yeah. is in, in itself a, a survival technique for a, a longer career because it, it certainly contributes to burnout where you're looking around thinking like, do I know that? And can I do that? And you got to stay in your sacred ground as Brene Brown would say. Yes. Love her. <laughs> so that reminds me, Cheryl, of when I was first practicing, I could not watch ER. I, me neither. <gasps> me neither. Oh my God. It would stress me out to the highest level. I'm like, I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> I know. I would be like, oh my gosh, if I don't come up with a diagnosis before they do, then I'm Doctor. I was in my first two years of practice and finally I was like, babe, we can't watch this. You know, for me, it was med school. It was a show that I had watched with my mom. We had this long history watching ER together, mm. but I just still remember, you know, Anthony Edwards calling out stat CBC. And I was like, what, what is that? What's the CBC stand for? We were first year or second year and you're a little bit associated with clinical rotations then, but not enough to, you know, be in the know. And it it just became a a reflection of all that I did not know. And like the climb towards that, it ruined the show for me. My favorite medical show is Scrubs though, by the way. I thought they got that right. I was when people are like, do you watch Grey's Anatomy? I'm like, no friend, that's not how, you know, the hospital works. Okay. It's (laughs) the hospital is gross. Like no one's having sex in the closet there, but there's no sexiness occurring. Right. I was like, there's MRSA, we're, we're all clearly aware. But Scrubs, I was like, this show is brilliant because it really did in its own funny way capture the dark humor and the chaos, but also the camaraderie and the collegiality in such a funny and compassionate and vulnerable way. That was my favorite show. And t- it's still to me the most accurate depiction of medical practice that I can think of. Oh my of. gosh. Awesome. This interview is going to be so valuable for people who are thinking about going into medicine. There's all these pearls <laughs> of wisdom. I love it. <laughs> I know. Well, 
fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? Okay. I think you got most of it right. I have three kids and they are two boys, 10 and 12. And then I uh, gifted myself with the 40th birthday present and had my daughter. Oh my gosh. And she's four. Yeah. And she's, she's cute. So she's the little flame that we all kind of warm ourselves around. So that's a little bit more about my kids. And I do live in Seattle, Washington still and have been here since 2007. Awesome. Well, let's get to know you a little better with some rapid fire questions. Okay. What's your superpower? Oh, gosh. My superpower is my ability to be decisive. Mm. And it's definitely informed by the lifelong concept taught to me by my parents that time is really valuable. I'm much more valuable than anything else. And that perfection is the enemy of good. So I just don't mess around at the edges. Love it. I just can make decisions quickly and I don't stress about the small things, especially if they're materialistic. My daughter got sort of goo in her hair about a year ago and that was a present during a COVID time birthday party. So no food, they gave goo out. And I was like, God, she's three. It was immediately in her hair and I sort of took one look at it and I thought that's going to be like an eight-hour project to get that out. She has really long hair. So we just took some scissors and snipped it. I mean, my husband was flabbergasted like that (laughs) I would cut her hair, but time is precious and this is not a big deal and we're just going to move on with the snip and there you go. Love it. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. That is a superpower. Good for you. What is something unexpected that has changed about you in the past few years? I'm a definite Brene Brown fan, as I mentioned earlier, and In the last decade, actually, I've had an ailing parent. My mom was diagnosed with dementia early onset, and it's just been a tough go. And I think, you know, again, like I said, time is precious. And what I'm very curious about is how we interact with people and how we relate to people in our lives. And so I've I've spent a lot of time kind of learning and, and reading and listening to podcasts as a way to figure out, you know, how to deal with the grief around my mom and how to deal with the people around me. And so I think what has changed about me is I've seen myself in a different light. You know, I understand a lot of the programming that goes into medical training and uh, about how that sort of continues to feed the fire of perfectionism and how perfectionism really is not healthy striving. It's a um, armor against shame. And so I've really taken a look at myself and tried to um, be a little bit more self-compassionate and, and kind to myself in the last few years while studying and reading and listening. Wow. So good. All right. On a more materialistic plan, yeah. what, what is your favorite purchase of the year? You know, I have to say my most proud purchase is the super cool, like kind of grayish blue leather jacket. We go to Maine every year. It's a really special place for my husband's family. They've had a house there for like the last 50 years. And every summer we take one day to go into Portland or Kenny Bunkport, which is super fun. And just do like a girl shopping trip, which is generously funded by my mother-in-law, who's just the most amazing woman. And I just walked into the store. There was a million cute things. They all had lobsters on it and sweaters and sweatshirts. And just this amazing like blue-gray leather jacket caught my eye. And I was like, that is mine. It is my leather jacket. I'm going to put it on. I had her ring it up at the cash register and I just walked out with it. And and actually my sister-in-law, my husband's sister had said to me years ago, you know, if you don't want to wear the thing out of the store that you just bought, you know, maybe reconsider the purchase. That's a pearl. It is a pearl. You're like, yeah, this, this will be mine. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I know. What's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? Oh, God. Years ago, when I was in college, I did, you know, this sort of required trip around Europe with some friends. And we were at this very cool hostel called Bombers in Interlaken, Switzerland, which I'm sure half your listeners, if they're our age, have been to. It was such a cool place. It was kind of like a camp, right? You know, this was before 
cell phones. The internet was burgeoning, but not certainly hadn't taken hold. Like this is where you'd leave a note for the guy you met in Germany and oh, being like, yes. "Hey, Doug, <laughs> like meet me here." here. <laughs> right, yeah. the pass through uh-huh. notes. It was so fun. They offered a bunch of adventure activities, hand gliding and trekking and whatever. And so we did this thing called canyoning. You know, you get in all this gear, you're in like kind of a wetsuit and you've got rappelling gear and a helmet. And there's the sort of big finale of the canyoning trip as you jump off this this cliff into, you know, a little pool of water. You're going through a canyon and there's water and there's rocks and whatever. But I mean, this is what these guys do all the time, right? You know, these very cool Swiss, very handsome guides. And so I jumped off the cliff into this pool of water and I was like under the water and I was thinking like, yay, I did it. And then I was like, God, you know, I'm not like popping up, you know, like as one should do in in buoyant water. And then I went around and around and I thought I'm, I'm caught in some kind of whirlpool down here. Oh, And I did finally pop up. It was delayed for sure. And I popped up into the arms of this Swiss guide who I'll tell you up close, like just like Brad Pitt and just the sheer terror on his face. And he sort of grabbed me and hugged me because it was nerve wracking, I'm sure, to watch the young woman not come up. And I thought, now that's not so bad. (laughs) Brad Pitt caught me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is a really extreme memory. How amazing. Yeah, it was. It was fun. Well, as you know, the point of this podcast is to share our embarrassing stories so the listeners remember they're not alone. And also we demonstrate how connection can be made through sharing them. So what do you have for us today? My story is about kind of my courtship with my husband ending in our first date. Like I said, we met in med school. And when I went to med school, I had taken like half a gap year and I was sort of got myself together. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start med school at Columbia and I'm going to uh, I'm going to have two things that I'm going to hold to so that I can be really focused on learning and not distracted. I'm not going to gossip about, mm-hmm. you know, anybody in med school and I'm not going to date anybody right now because I had spent a lot of college trying to gather myself after a bunch of little heartbreaks and disappointments and whatever. So course, I stuck to, you know, neither one of those things. At, at Columbia, there was 150 people in my class and we all lived in the dorms. You had to live in the dorms yeah. the first year in order really? to secure housing. You did because, you know, it was New York City. They owned three apartment buildings. It was such a deal. And they had these apartments overlooking the Hudson River, Tower 1, Tower 2, mm-hmm. Tower 3. Beautiful, beautiful, large apartments. But in order to be even in the lottery for that, you had to live in the dorm. So, you know, I was 22 but there were people that had gone back to med school after, you know, many years. So there were like people like 25, 30, like living in the dorms. <laughs> and these were old dorms. They had co-ed bathrooms. Okay. Co-ed really? bathrooms, co-ed showers. What? <laughs> Some people just went with it, like just slept that anatomy book right into the potty sitting next to the guy <laughs> next to him. I was like, whoa, that's so bold. Good for you. But anyway, so we're all living in the dorms. So like the idea of no hookups, no gossip, and no dating it was just oh, like no, a re- yeah, just like a ridiculous pre-existing delusional notion that the record scratch <laughs> sound effect not gonna happen. <laughs> totally. <laughs> By the way, of the 150 people in my class, there were seven couples, so 14 people married each other. Oh, that does not what? account for the hookups. Amazing. Ten percent of us married each other. So my husband, we all met in the first few days of med school, and you know you're making like very quick judgments about people, and also trying to you're wondering like what do you see about me? 
And so we we met and I thought, oh, okay, cute, you know, asexual mountain man, a lot of blonde curly hair and a big beard and and a fleece, you know, next and going on <laughs> so, so on and so forth. And then he actually went to high school with the woman that lived next door to me. So he'd sort of swing by, yeah. you know, to say hi to her and he'd kind of knock on my door and his sister was getting married. He wanted to know if he could borrow like a book of poetry I had to find a quote. And I was like, yeah, sure. And so Gradually, we became friends and started spending time together and studying together. And then one day, I was sitting in my bed, and he was sitting in my chair, and we were talking. And I looked at him, and I thought, oh, oh God, I, I'm, I'm seeing him for the first time, and he's quite beautiful, you know, gorgeous and, and fun and very sweet. And, and so I started to sort of like, like him, you know, mm-hmm. and we've been spending this time together. We were studying anatomy together. I mean, this couldn't be more cliche. So this it. was the first quarter. So we're like studying like the perineum, you know, we're like tucking, we're closing <laughs> each other on the cremaster reflex. For, for those of you who don't know, is when you scratch the inside of a man's thigh, his scrotum will contract. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a nerve there. I don't, I, I assume it's an evolutionary advantageous thing to be walking through the brush and have the necessary testicle pop up if there's a thorny bush there. But anyway, so, you know, there's sort of all this like tension building between us and we're spending a lot of time together, but no, no moves have been made. We did things in blocks. So at the end of this block, we had 2,700 tests and, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. been up for hours and hours and days and days and caffeinated. And so then you go and blow off some steam. And in a funny, like totally out of personality style, my husband was the social chair of the class at the time. And so they had arranged this this outing with the Cornell Med School class. And we all went to Nell's, which was this cool bar downtown um, Manhattan. It was great. And so I thought that he might give me a call. We would go together or whatever, but that just didn't happen. And so I was actually quite disappointed. But I thought, whatever, I'm not going to, you know, I'd promised myself I wasn't going to get into this chaos. And my girlfriends and I were getting ready to go out and meet everybody down at Nell's. And I thought, you know, I am not going to shave my legs. Like I am kind of a hairy person and there's just a lot of grooming that happens. And I was very, very tired. And I thought, you know, makeup, lipstick, a cute outfit, it's good enough. I'm not going to shave my legs. And so I was wearing a cute turquoise top from Club Monaco and these like flared black pants. This is 22 years ago, by the way, but I do have a memory for my outfits. And I had these like Kenneth Cole shoes on. They were like open-toed flats or open-toed platform wedges or something like that. So we go down to Nell's and we're, you know, having a good time and we're at the bar and my husband, Heath, and one of my other friends from med school, Dave Benita, great guy the three of us were talking and Dave had a girlfriend. She was sort of remote at that point. And so we were talking about gifts and we were talking about shoes. And he said, Oh, I like your shoes. Dave was like very, you know, into style and fashion. Mm -hmm. And my husband was sort of just like hanging on to this. And he said, can I see your shoes? And I was sort of like, yeah, okay. You know, and he goes to take a look at the shoes. And then my husband gets in on this conversation. He goes, Oh, those are cool. And he grabs my foot you know, to look at the shoes. And at that point, you know, I'm wearing these like flare pants, which were the style then. Mm -hmm. And they start to flare back. And I thought, no, I I really haven't shaved my legs in like two weeks now. Like there's a lot of growth there. (laughs) And so I'm starting to panic a little bit. Like they're gonna, it's not that dark. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna really visualize like the hair growth. (laughs) Right. And they might feel it. So they, I'm, I'm sort of balanced a little bit on one foot kind of leaning. And my husband has my foot in his hand. And I, I fight back, you know, I start to like pull my foot away and they're like, they're holding it. And, and you could just see it in slow motion. I just start to topple. So I'm oh. waving my arms backwards and I end up like flat on my back. 
in the middle of this bar at Nell's. By the way, I didn't even care about that. That wasn't the embarrassing part. I was just so happy that they didn't get a good look at my hair. But those two, they both, like, it was, I still have such warmth and love for both my husband and Dave Benita for just grabbing me right under the armpits and getting me upright in a second. I mean, their faces were ashen. They were just, like, horrified that they had knocked me over in the middle of this bar. And I was kind of, like, moving on, you know. Anyway, so that night, my husband and I were dancing at Nell's, and he did um, he did plant one on me. Good for him. And we took a, a cab back home, and, or back to our dorm. You know, we lived three floors apart. And uh, he said, would you be up for spending the night in my big burgundy bed? And I was like, sure, I would. And also, I, I haven't shaved my legs in like two weeks. And he laughed. And I did have to reveal because I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to come clean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to shave him right now. It's two in the morning. You know? That's right. Yes, I'll be there in 30 minutes. You get there and he's totally zonked out. That's not exactly. Good. I was like, yeah. there's not going to be a turnaround time here for that. Uh-uh. <laughs> so that was my my date story. And, and the rest was history. It was funny. It was a very close-knit, dare I say, gossipy group of people uh-huh. who my med school roommates are like cousins, right? Like we just know each other for life now. And about nine in the morning that morning, there was a knock on my husband's door, the dorm room. And so he opened it like two inches and it was one of our friends like peering in being like, Hey, did you and Cheryl go home together? You know, like, And he was like, no, 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 we didn't. We didn't. You know? And I thought, bold, that was bold to come to the door. That was really bold. And it's really early after a night of drinking. Good Lord, good Lord. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, why are you here at nine in the you. morning? Yeah. And then you- <laughs> I love that he tried to. Oh, yeah. You know, tried to protect we kept it quiet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I will say that particular friend in thinking about it, I think he was probably just getting in. You know? Like, oh. He, yeah. <laughs> okay. That makes a lot more wanted sense. Wanted into the dorm at nine in the morning. I was like, uh-huh. I'll stop by and see Pete's around. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, Lordy. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I'm so sorry you fell in Nell's. I'm so <laughs> glad that you didn't suffer a head injury. <laughs> That would have been horrible. I love that they picked you up so quickly. So fast, yeah. And you're both ash, and that's adorable. You're like, okay, these are good people. It's the marker of a good man. They were like, you know, a bit shaken. Uh (laughs) I was like, these are gentlemen here. They weren't standing there laughing at you. They were like, get her out, get her out. Totally, yeah. It it warms my heart. It's so sweet. Yeah, totally. And the fact that the tension was building for so long. It was, I I was thinking you were going to say, oh, my God, he's touching my leg. I can't. I can't even. I'm not holding out any longer. But (laughs) It went a little different direction, but then <laughs> totally, you guys yeah. did end up hooking up. I love it. That's we so did. cute. We hooked up that night. Yep. <laughs> it's time to talk about coincidences. Do you have a crazy coincidence for us? I do. It just happened about, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. I'm an anesthesiologist, as I said before, and we provide anesthesia services in multiple different locations across the city, in fact, and even out in Issaquah. And we all go to a bunch of different places. And on this particular day, I was at a surgery center that was not at the hospital. And I was taking care of a patient. And she and I started to chat. And she was great. And she asked me about where else we worked. And so I kind of gave her the rundown of Swedish. And and then she said, oh, she revealed that her father had worked at Swedish years ago. He was a retired physician. And she told me her father's name. And I actually did remember her father. He was retiring just right at the time that I was starting, which was like, you know, 14 years ago. But 
he, he was a, a memorable figure for lots of different reasons. And, and so it was sort of a, it was a very sweet conversation. And I did say to her, Hey, you know, your father won't remember me, but let him know that, you know, one of the young anesthesiologists when he started remembers him really fondly and, and wishes him well. Aww. Anyway, I took care of her and then my cases were done at that location that day. And so I went back to our main hospital and was actually sent to sort of a little subsidiary area of our main hospital to sort of take over some cases over there. But in the meantime, we're very kind to each other. And so as an anesthesiologist, you don't have the freedom to come and go necessarily. And so we will often um, break each other out for lunch and take care of each other's patients so that the anesthesiologist can take care of themselves. So pee, eat, drink, you know, do be water and fed. Yeah. And so I offered a, one of my partners and friends a break and she said, yeah, sure. This is the same day, by the way. She said, hey, I'm taking care of this patient. And she gave me the, the usual clinical sign out, pertinent medical issues, what was happening in the field, the type of anesthesia. And by the way, you know, in this, in this particular case, the patient's head was away from me. But it's, you know, patients often have a breathing tube or they have drapes over them. Like it's, you don't, you can't always see faces. And I hadn't looked at the medical record at that point. And she said, yeah, I don't know if you remember this patient, but he's a retired physician from Swedish and he worked here and he, re- he retired around the time that you and I started. What? And I, mean, I just got chills and I looked up and it was that patient's father. Oh. And I was beside myself, but I actually couldn't tell her. I mean, I, I think maybe later I told her in general, but I, I couldn't mm-hmm. tell her because we have HIPAA right. protections, right? So you can't reveal any patient information to anybody else unless they're medically associated with the case, right? So mm-hmm. my colleague was not medically associated with the prior patient's case. So I could not tell her what was happening. I could not tell crazy. anybody about oh that gosh. connection. I know it was so crazy. It was so crazy. And I still ponder, you know, from a spiritual and universal perspective, like, why did that happen? The funny thing is I took care of my patient again, the woman uh, a a few months later, maybe a year later, uh, I couldn't tell her either. You know, I couldn't tell her that I met her father. No, I couldn't. Dude, I have questions. Like, did you not know your dad was having surgery that day? Wouldn't that have come up in our conversation? Of course, she can't say any of this. I know. That's that's so funny because, of course, as a physician, you're thinking that too. And I was thinking that too. Like, maybe she didn't know. You know, I don't know. It was such a weird coincidence. Are they Strange. I know, I know. What's the story there? But I'm not speechless all that often. I always have something to say about something. But I literally, when she told me the name of the patient, and I looked at the medical record because we're all, you know, on a computerized electronic medical record. I I honestly couldn't even get a word out. I was kind of like, all right, you know, go ahead to lunch. I mean, it was so strange. It was so strange. Anyway, that was my that's my biggest coincidence that's happened um, in a a while. Are the odds? Very so low. Crazy. Yeah, odds are low. In 14 years comes up in one conversation and you see him in the next door. Are you in I know. I know. So, it so is crazy. Uh, yeah. Total bonkers. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, tell the listeners where they can find you should you want to be found online. I am on Instagram. I believe my handle is Cheryl Marks 2003. All right. Excellent. I will link to that in the show notes. Well, Cheryl, you are so much fun. You're an audio natural and we're definitely going to have to, you guys, don't (laughs) worry. Cheryl and I have a part two of this conversation coming up, hopefully very soon, but she's busy. So we'll just let it, we'll just let it happen when it can happen. But oh my gosh, thank you so much for being on with me. Yeah, Joanne, thank you for having me. Oh, it was great. I just can't wait for part two.
Oh my gosh, you guys, that was so much fun. Even after we stopped recording, we chatted for a while longer and Cheryl is awesome to talk to. It's always fun to reminisce and chat about medicine with other physicians and she's just a joy. So I'm so excited to tell you that she's going to be coming back for another episode. And thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you check out the show notes for today's episode at fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 126 to get any links we discussed today. Next week on the show, we are going to have Ashley Nelson, who is the daughter of Teresa Bodecker, who's the lady that went all naked Hulk lady in her garage. I'm so excited to be interviewing her, and I can't wait to share her with you guys. Remember to follow the show wherever you're listening right now so that new episodes pop into your feed each week. If you have a story to tell, email me at notfancy at fancyfreepodcast.com. And if you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join the Fancy Free Facebook group. The question of the week this week is, have you ever lived in the dorms? And how was that for you? (laughs) I'd also love it if you'd follow the Fancy Free Podcast on Instagram and tell at least one friend about the show this week. If this show makes you feel less alone or makes you laugh then share it because we would love to get into more listeners' ears. Also, if you use your code FANCYFREE at checkout at Shelfie Shop, you will get free shipping. And just to remind you, if you like to rip your bra off at the end of the day, but you need a little bit of support and coverage and like really, really cozy loungewear and pajamas, check out Shelfie Shop. It's made just for you at S-H-E-L-F-I-E-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. Have a wonderful week and remember, no one is as fancy as they look. (laughs) 